Good evening, Dr. Dan Guerra here from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the sixth day of December 2021. Just finished an hour and 20 minute video lecture on the YouTube channel, which is the ending of the aging lectures. Now, I only got through that uh, segment of the ending uh, of this very long lecture that I thought would hopefully uh, not last much longer than that, but it's stretching more than I assumed, which is always the case. So I'm going to fill in what is also in that final lecture on just audio on this particular authentic biochemistry lecture this evening. I really recommend you go back and listen to the video, which is on the YouTube channel. This section here will be audio. And then at the very end, I will go back and do the final video lecture. So I'm just trying to make it so I don't have to have three hours more video. So that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to get right back into our discussion of cell fate. And cell fate is really essential to understand why aging is inevitable. And Cell fate in a very general sense of understanding can occur as we're aging, either to senesce, to apoptose, or to proliferate. Now, I'm sure that makes sense to most of you, but now I'm going to fill in that detail, which is what I do in authentic biochemistry. Now, consider that there is a specific structure, structural gene known as the INK4A ARF locus, INK4A ARF locus. And it plays a significant role in the protein P16 INK4A in human cells. Remember that's going to work as a tumor suppressor. If you don't remember that, again, listen to the video lecture. So the gene responsible for this is called the CDKN2A. And ultimately, the way you put this whole thing together is there's an alternative splicing of three different axons, E1, 2, and 3. This is at the transcriptional level now. So the P16 4A protein, when it's finally synthesized after that splicing of those transcripts, it, that protein, 16,4A, binds to cyclin D and to the cyclin D kinase 4,6 complex. All of that then ends up inhibiting the activation of the transcription factor, elongation 2F1, which will induce proteins to move from G1 to S phase in the cell cycle. So you can see that because you're inhibiting the transcription of the elongation factor, you're inhibiting cell proliferation because you're preventing the movement to the cell cycle to the S phase. Okay. Now, keep that in mind. Now, think about the paper published, and I've mentioned this to you before in the general lecture series. We are in aging way back, probably nine, 10 months ago. A paper published in Cancer Genetics, Cytogenetics in 1999. Now, listen to this. The accumulation of this P16 Inc. 4A and another protein, P15 Inc. 4B, when you have both of those proteins as homozygous deletions in a human papillomavirus type 16 positive scrotal carcinoma case, this is in humans, 
that what you what that all that indicates when you accumulate the deletions is that you get alteration, of course, of those genes, and that's going to have some kind of significant role in the progression of the scrotal cancer, right? You don't find the expression of those genes in the scrotal cancer. It means that maybe they have something to do with it because the cancer is progressing. In fact, the survival rate of two human papillomavirus type 16 positive patients in this early study that also had a TP53 mutation, or again, this 16-INC4A, 15-INC4B homozygous deletion, or both problems in terms of gene transcription, that, that both, that, then you get a lower than um, the normal number of human papillomas virus type 16 negative cases who otherwise have no P53, P16-4A, or p 15 uh, Inc 4B mutations. So that means that those proteins are functioning as tumor suppressors. That's the point I want to make. So that means a mole any kind of molecular alteration of TB53, 16 Inc 4A, and Inc 4B genes might very, be very useful for a prognostic indicator in the scrotal cancer. So let's go into some detail now. Move up now, 18 years later. Now we're in Nature Medicine paper published in 2017. Now, please follow along with me here. Senescent cells accumulate in many vertebrate tissues with age. We all know this. And of course, they contribute to age-related pathologies. Uh, most significantly, there's secretory pro-inflammatory senescence-associated secretory phenotype or SASP. So we, we can guess that removal then simply of senescent cells might delay several pathologies and could maybe even increase healthy lifespan. So here's a very interesting paper where they were looking at aging and trauma as risk factors for the development of osteoarthritis, which of course we all know is a chronic pro-inflammatory disease characterized by degeneration of the articular cartilage and of course, the morbidity of that is leading to pain and physical disability, right? So this paper wanted to take a look and see whether or not if you um, have these senescent cells, do they play a causative role in osteoarthritis? So what they did is they made a genetic construct in a mouse model. They did a P163MR transgenic mouse which harbors the P16-INC4A, which of course is also known as the CDKN2A promoter. But the promoter here was driving a couple of um, biomarkers, right? One of them is the expression of a fusion protein, which contains this renilia luciferase. And the other part of that protein is a monomeric red fluorescent protein domain. Now, they also had in this mouse model, in this transgenic mouse, a truncated form of the HSVTK, that is the herpes simplex virus type 1 thymidine kinase gene. Now, what that gene does when it's expressed, and you may have recalled, I actually worked on this myself and published a few papers on it, it can work as a negative selectable marker. Now, the way that works is that you get HSVTK expressed in a cell and then you plate those cells out 
uh, ganciclovir, which is a an anal, uh, nucleoside analog, that enzyme, when it's expressed, will phosphorylate that analog, and then it will, upon phosphorylation, when you get DNA replication, it'll be stopped. It'll cause chain termination. It'll kill those cells. So getting that expressed along with those biomarkers, right, those reporter genes, the luciferase and the fluorescent uh, red protein, you can then visualize for the selective removal of the senescent cells. Now, they generated these senescent cells. They generated them to divide after they did a surgical procedure in the mouse called the anterior cruciate ligament transection, or the ACLT. So what happens there is that senescent cells accumulate in that articular cartilage and indeed and even in the synovium after that surgery, the ACLT. And so a selective elimination of those cells after you induce the TK gene, and then you look at the removal, right, of the reporter genes, you do this all my, with microscopy, you can see that those cells, you get an attenuation and development of the post-traumatic osteoarthritis. You also get reduced pain. And in top of that, because you've eliminated the senescent cell lineage after the surgery, which caused that those cells to accumulate in the cartilage and synovium, you also get when you when then kill those cells selectively by using the thymine kinase gene, the reduced pain, you lose that post-traumatic osteoarthritis increase, but you also get increased cartilage development. So it repairs it, okay? And, and, and it gets cartilage back on the track of being repaired after the surgery. So you have an intra-articular injection also in this paper of a specific senolytic molecule that only kills senescent cells. And when they did that, they could reproduce the phenotype. That when you do that, you selectively kill those cells and it validates the same results that you just that we just mentioned to you in the aged mice. So that looks pretty good. Get rid of the senescent cells. You get rid of any potential damaging effects on osteoarthritis, and plus you get new increased cartilage development. Okay, that all sounds good. Let's go ahead a year after this, a paper I found in Cancer Reporter Review, published in 2018. Here, once again, we're talking about the ARF tumor suppressor, and we know that it's been identified as a key sensor of hyperproliferative stimuli, such as those originating from classical oncogenic proteins, the RAS and CMEK, those two mutant oncoproteins. And what you get is a prevention of early-stage cancer cells that would otherwise undergo neoplastic transformation. And so that then can be altered by inducing senescence or apoptosis, okay? Which is normally happening in the aging system. Now, the P, now you have to pay pretty close attention because I'm going to run a lot of protein numbers, uh, protein signature uh, domains after you, and you, might, you have to follow them. The P19ARF and the P16INC4A, both those, are transcribed from, uh, from separate and unique first exons known as one beta and one alpha. 
which ultimately will splice after this transcription of these axons into two shared axons, two and three. You have a total of three because you cut it twice, right? So the P19R uses only axons one and two, while the protein P16 inc 4A uses all three axons one through three for the production of that polypeptide. So the ARF inc 4A, that locus, also known as the CDKN2A locus, is located only about 11 and a half kilobases from the genomic locus for CDKN2B. And that encodes for another protein known as P15 inc 4B. That's in the human gene. Now, both P14ARF and P16 inc 4A, as we've been describing, function as a tumor suppressor despite the lack of amino acid sequence similarity and consistent with the findings in mice, frequent mutation or promoter methylation, an epigenetic event, or deletion of that ARC-INC4A locus in human cancers has been reported second only to P53 mutations in frequency. You get rid of those tumor suppressor genes, you get full-blown cancer. That's what we're telling you. Hence, deletion or modification of the P16 inc4a, which uses all three of those exons, will corrupt that splicing variant expression system, so you don't get ARF either, and that leads ultimately to multiple oncogenic events in the aging human. Therefore, killing senescent cells, which we were just talking about as being absolutely fabulous to prevent the autoimmune osteoarthritis after damage as caused by that um, surgery, killing senescent cells to retrograde aging, which is the phenomenon they were pushing in that earlier paper, would very likely eventually end in multiple potentiation of tumorigenesis. So you see here, I'm moving from one cell fate to another as you're aging can greatly accelerate the morbidity leading to another major cause of death. Okay, so you have a pro-inflammatory system, which is naturally occurring because of senescence. You corrupt that, then you get a self-proliferative effect because of the dysregulation of the tumor suppressor genes, which are otherwise being expressed because of the senescent cell phenotype. Okay, now continue on here with our further discussion at this molecular level. Let's talk about genomic damage. We know that telomere dysfunction is one of the many potentially oncogenic stimuli that otherwise will directly elicit a senescent response. Of course, many cells are undergoing senescence as they age. And that senescence can also be induced, and I've mentioned this time and again, when you have severely damaged DNA, any kind of DNA repair, right? And that's regardless of the genomic location or the age of the cell. So DNA double-stranded breaks, which you can gain by, by ionizing radiation or using a topoisomerase inhibitor or some other genotoxin will especially be potent senescent inducers. 
So you get double-stranded breaks in DNA by ionizing radiation. You inhibit topoisomerase, which is, the, of course, the protein that regulates DNA uh, repair because topoisomerases move around the strands of DNA around the histones, for example. When you get that, you're going to get the, the induction of senescence. So many types of cytotoxic chemotherapies are, of course, severe DNA damaging agents. That's what they do. You damage enough DNA, you prevent what? Cell proliferation. That, at the same time, will induce a senescence. The senescence where? In the tumor cell, but also in the potentially currently becoming metastasized surrounding cell lineage. Okay. See how this functions now. Now, mitogens and proliferative associated signals have to be brought into question here. Cellular senescence can be induced by strong, chronic, or an unbalanced mitogenic signaling. All that's consistent with its role in suppressing tumorigenesis. Okay. So senescence prevents tumorigenesis via suppression. So the best studied examples of these senescent responses are those, of course, that we can provoke by oncogenes. First time we reported on this, uh, we described it as oncogene-induced senescence. And the papers we were looking at showed that the oncogenic form of HRAS, which chronically stimulates the mitogen-activated protein kinase signaling pathway, was involved. Remember, that's the MAP kinase pathway. So likewise, cells senesce in response to overexpressed growth factor receptors, such as the ERBB2 chronic stimulation, which can be caused by cytokines. What, which cytokines? Well, interferon beta. You also get the same effect if you lose a phosphatase called P10, which of course truncates normally growth factor signaling when you remove a phosphate. Thus, several other forms of chronic or high-intensity mitogenic stimulation are aborted. So some oncogenes and some strong mitogenic stimuli themselves will cause DNA damage and that will yield persistent DNA damage repair signaling, all possibly as a consequence of inappropriate replicon firing and replication fork collapse, which if you remember our DNA lectures will create the DNA double-stranded breaks. Now, all those things that just described you there at the genomic level, the DNA level, chromatin level, involve mechanisms that cannot, cannot, however, explain overall what instantiates senescence, right? So there are more factors, and we have talked a lot about these, right? Now, paper published in Target, 2013, described all of this. Cells with damaged or unrepaired genomes will represent a potential threat for any organism. So if we eliminate those, it should be what? Beneficial. 
And we know from multiple lectures now that the biological safeguard barriers responsible for eliminating some of those hazardous cells are going to rely on two transcendental principles. Okay? The means by which this occurs. That's what I'm saying, transcendental. One is intrinsic, and that's achieved through cellular senescence or even apoptosis. And then an extrinsic pathway. And what is that performed by? You know me by now, the immune response. So the concept of an immune system mediated clearance of senescent cells has been very well established. However, the exact mechanisms and modes of mutual interplay between senescence and immune surveillance is what we continue to discuss here at Authentic Biochem, particularly in reference to aging. So I can I could probably say that research performed in at least the last two decades have demonstrated that cellular senescence is essentially irreversible block of cell proliferation. And it can be triggered or bypassed by manipulating expression levels of any several dozens of genes, indicating, of course, what? Well, again, what we always talk about dynamic biochemistry, the complexity and the redundancy of regulatory transcendental machineries controlling this in this large anti-tumor barrier. Now, while the regulatory circuits are not all completely figured out, at least not their interacting level, the unifying feature of this cellular senescence is always going to be the activation of cell cycle checkpoints that block commonly triggered persistent DNA damage response signaling. And all that's going to result in protein inhibitors of cyclin-dependent kinases, hello, P16-4A, INC-4A and ARF, right? So it's got a protein, protein inhibitors of the cyclin-dependent kinases. And those are the key drivers of cell cycle progression. So it all makes kind of complete logical, categorical, logical sense. So the multiple pathways leading to the induction of individual or several inhibitors of the CDKs, cell cyclodependent kinases, of course, will form the basis of a possibility for what? For inhibiting the redundancy of mechanisms that otherwise induce and maintain senescence. So any kind of stimulation of that response as manifested as a possibility to impose senescence, perhaps even within a tumor cell, okay, within a tumor, you're going to have to remove two pivotal mediators or at least alter their transcriptional or post-translational expression. Those are P53 and the retinoblastoma, the RB, two major cell cycle um, protein regulators. And all that stems from the fact that regulatory circuits are always interconnected by cross-talking of signaling pathways that ultimately rely on multiple feedback regulation. 
Now, what can fit into this? Guess what? Cytokines secreted by those senescent cells, remember the SASP phenotype, is going to play the important role not only shaping the senescent phenotype by using those autocrine and paracrine signaling and reinforcing cell cycle block by secondary induction or diverse, what? Cell cycle dependent kinase inhibition, but also by causing genotoxic stress capable of inducing cellular senescence per se. So what kind of proteins are playing this role, these cytokines? TGF-beta or leukin-1-beta, but not, as it turns out, interleukin-6. So TGF-beta and leukin-1-beta were the first two identified cytokine species responsible for that secondary bystander senescence of from the SASP coming from human diploid fibroblasts. Indeed, the exposure of those fibroblasts in vitro to either of the two cytokines leads to the development of a persistent DNA damage repair originating from an increased cellular level of reactive oxygen. Okay. So the production of the reactive oxygen in those cells during inflammation thus contributes, as we well know, to aging and development of age-related diseases. So protein called NOX4 is a member of one of those proteins resulting in ROS metabolism. Because NOX4 is a member of an NADPH oxidase family. And we know that those family of oxidase enzymes regulate the production of reactive oxygen, especially superoxide forms which can induce DNA damage and therefore the, pre the premature senescence. So when you knock down NOx4, decreased RAS-induced DDR, okay? When you knock down NOx4, you get decreased RAS-induced DD4. Well, that's obvious because NOx4 product is this NADPH oxidase, okay? So it looks like RAS-induced senescence is going to be mediated by these NOx proteins, these NADPH oxidases. NOx4 is a critical one, also NOx1. And overexpression of both of those genes has actually been shown to be sufficient to induce senescence via that activated DNA damage response. So now you've got a much fuller picture of where I'm going with this, hopefully. So remember, primary senescent cells with a persistently activated DNA damage repair signaling from unrepaired DNA lesions are going to start producing a whole constellation of cytokines. And that results in what we call the senescence-associated secretory phenotype. So you have interleukin-1-beta and TGF-beta, and I just told you those induce this NADPH oxidase, NOx4 protein, and that all happens in a paracrine manner 
in the normal neighboring cells. So NOx4 generated reactive oxygen species trigger the DNA damage repair, whose persistence activates secondary senescence with secondary SASP in vivo. Immune cells like Th1 helper T lymphocytes also induce senescence in, for example, beta tumor cells by interferon gamma and TNF-alpha-A. That suggests a transcendental coexisting similar mechanism of senescence promotion mediated by those two cytokines, interleukin-1-beta and TGF-beta, via that NADPH oxidase, NOx4, DNA damage repair pathway. Okay, so that's all I'm able to talk about today because I'm at the end of my time. But that's what I really wanted to take home the message to you. We do know a lot about senescence. We do know a lot about how senescence is protective. And we know many of the genes involved and the splice variants from the expression of those transcripts and then the proteins ultimately and what they do in cell cycle. We know why mutant cell cycle suppressors do not suppress, but actually activate cell cycle, therefore causing cell proliferation. And we know that knocking out suppressors will induce cell suppression. And we know that adding back those suppressors from those loci we just talked about, the CDKN, remember, that will bring back the suppression of the proliferation and the oncogenic event. So you can't do both things at once. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry on the 6th of December, 2021, saying bye for now.